Close your eyes and imagine you're taking a plane. Sit on it. There comes the crew and the pilot. Then you arrive at your destination. Next day, you take a morning coffee at a coffee shop and see a married couple next to you. When you leave the coffee shop, a boy riding a bike surpasses you on the sidewalk, and a few meters ahead is hit by a drunk driver. A crowd immediately gathers around the boy. Among them, someone shouts, I can help, I'm a surgeon. Now open your eyes and tell me. The crew, were they mostly men or women? And the pilot. At the coffee shop, was the married couple heterosexual or homosexual? Young, old? Outside, was the drunk driver male or female? And the surgeon. It's um, it's funny because I was doing the exercise, as you asked. <laughs> uh, this time again, although I have done it uh, before. And uh, the first time that I made this exercise, I realized that I was completely biased towards some things. And that amazed me, actually. For instance, I thought of a mostly female crew, but a male pilot. And at the coffee shop, I thought of a heterosexual, elderly, married couple. The drunk driver, I imagined, was male and the surgeon as well. And uh, still now that I did this exercise, my, I mean, most of the, the images that my, that my imagination created were the same as the first time. Uh, but we'll discuss how how this may influence our behavior. So, uh, were your um, your result results like similar? Where did your uh, imagination take you? <laughs> I think because our backgrounds are sort of similar, we are born in the same country. For instance, I had the same biases as you for the most part, but I imagine a younger couple rather than an older one. I guess I guess I thought of an old couple because that's usually what I associate with, like uh, people that have time to like married people to go to a coffee, spend the time doing that, you know. And I guess in my small town, that's the example that I, that I encounter more frequently. So that's why my mind went there. Mm, I, I thought of big cities and chain coffee shops where I usually associate being active and young. Um, and that's why I think I thought of younger couples. Anyways, what this exercise shows us is how our brains are just naturally programmed to create these images and these stereotypes in our mind right away. And this sort of proves that the way that we think, that we act, and that we talk about uh, different types of biases, be it age, gender, race, or others, is highly incomplete. And if you want to improve it, we must discuss implicit bias, which is what we're doing here today. <laughs> yes, and that's the reason why we picked the book Blind Spot, Hidden Biases of Good People by the social psychologist Mazarin Banaji. Both Sophia and I are economics and political science students, and we usually focus more on the decisions and choices of economic agents and their consequences. But we mm -hmm. usually don't tend to pay, at least pay more conscious attention on the psychology of these agents. Mm -hmm. um, we, we cannot forget this, of course, because it's through learning all of these mechanisms that at the most basic level affect the individuals 
that we can then escalate it by behaviors between communities and mm -hmm. at the state level. Exactly. And as you said, we are uh, social scientists uh, students. So it, I mean, for us, it totally made sense to increasingly and you know, on a day-to-day -day basis to understand the choices of individuals and also what may influence them. Mm -hmm. um, but on a more, uh, on a different field, the author of this book, uh, she has been studying the disparities between our conscious values and our unconscious attitudes. So uh, she analyzes how our good intentions and our effective behavior are often as different as they can be. She uses a psychological tool called Implicit Association Test, mm -hmm. and um, she uses it to expose uh, the hidden biases. And uh, she basically, what she does is that she studies the disparities between uh, conscious expressions of values and beliefs on one hand, and the less conscious, the implicit representations of mental content on the other. The hidden biases in the book title actually means the bits of knowledge about social groups that are stored in our brains because we encounter them frequently in our cultural environment. And this makes us be biased about something because our brains simply create stereotypes about it. And once launched in our brains, as they explain, these hidden biases can influence our behavior towards members of a particular social group, for instance, but we don't notice their influence. Yeah, the thing is that humans are just really good at detecting patterns and uh, category categorizing um, things into groups. So with those bits of knowledge that you just mentioned, we store them and uh, when we are faced with a member of that category or that group, We generalize, we watch their characteristics, put them into a category, and then mm -hmm. generalize. In the basic form, this is not necessarily bad because it's how we survived for this long. It's how we assess what is a threat, what is not a threat. But it is also the reason why it, uh, prejudice and discrimination can exist. Mm -hmm, exactly. And actually, but some years back, this uh, this was not the approach, actually, in psychology. And uh, I mean, most psychologists, as it's also referred in the book, uh, they believe that the human behavior was actually primarily guided by conscious thoughts and feelings. And um, actually, I see this in also my personal experience. I mean, I don't know if that ever happened to you, Bruna. Uh, probably yes, I suppose. But I have been asked to fill questionnaires, you know, while at school for oh, yes, yes. someone's project or whatever. <laughs> And in those cases, it's so easy for someone to just completely alter the, an the answers, not only like uh, intentionally, but even intentionally, you know. Like I could say that I behave or think or feel a certain way, uh, fill the questionnaire with answers that might not represent my actual behavior, which is of interest. And it's like the, the topic of study for uh, psychology. And I can even not being aware of it. And that influences the, the results of the research. And 
merely because this was the idea that I have of my behavior. Yet nowadays, the majority of especially social psychologists agree that most of the human judgment and behavior is produced actually with little conscious thought. And um, I guess this is why I find this study so interesting. It's because it is not asking us if we have a bias towards something. It's showing us that we do. And this showing us that we do is actually a very, very powerful message, I find. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's also a very uncomfortable one. It puts me and I guess a lot of the readers in an un- uncomfortable position because it is hard for us human beings that we are endowed with this capacity for conscious thought to accept that our beliefs and our preferences that it, it basically define us can be shaped by these forces that are outside of our awareness. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is also in line with the concept of cognitive, cognitive dissonance. Um, yes, I, I like it. <laughs> I like this expensive vocabulary that we are using today. <laughs> yes, I, sorry, go on. <laughs> no, I was just saying that I really like this concept a lot and I'm uh, frequently thinking about it because I find that it's something that is so prevalent in my mind. Uh, cognitive dissonance is basically telling us that we have conflicts between our beliefs and our actions or between two simultaneously coexisting beliefs, which basically violates the natural human striving for having a mental harmony or consonance or w- what we more frequently put it like peace of mind. Uh, if I can give an example about it is... Imagine that I fundamentally believe uh, in the scientific studies that smoking is bad for health, yet I am still a smoker, which I'm not, but this is just an example. This Mm -hmm. would be a cognitive dissonance because my belief in the scientific studies that say that uh, smoking is bad for health doesn't make me stop to smoke. So there's a conflict between my belief and my action. Mm-hmm, exactly. And now I got quite jealous of your uh, expensive psychology vocabulary. And so I'm going to bring another nice <laughs> word, another light, nice term that I learned from Blindspot that is homo categoricus. Mm. Um, by the way, we are tr- trying to use uh, this all, all this expensive uh, vocabulary, at least in psychology, but uh, sorry for the listeners of our uh, often imperfect English. <laughs> and um, but basically, ba- basically back to the point. Omut um, categoricus is the term that they use to explain uh, how our mind works a lot with stereotypes and categories where we group persons. And the authors of blind spots say that stereotyping achieves the desirable effect of allowing us to rapidly perceive total strangers as distinct individuals. Like when someone, for instance, is looking sketchy at us and turns out that that person really had bad intentions with us, it's like our brain sends uh, an alarm saying you are in a dangerous situation whenever you feel like you are in a certain environment or with certain people with whom you feel like you can't trust you know so those are sort of the the good type of stereotypes that might actually like put you in a in a more alert uh position 
But there are also hidden costs of stereotyping and uh, the sort of the bad consequences that it may bring. Those are like the, the type of divisions that create a us and them sentiment or in-group and out-group perceptions. Is It's uh, another term from social psychology. And this might actually create harmful segregation in society. In fact, uh, studies prove that we acquire this ability of stereotyping really early in infancy. So it's not something that we decide to do. It's really inherent to us. And um, a nice example of this uh, really early stereotyping that we start creating um, is given in the book by the, the baby's example. Do you remember? Oh, yeah. They, they give out different toys uh, to yeah. the babies, right? Yeah, exactly. Basically, um, there was this experiment where um, they used French babies and uh, not the authors of the book, but former experiments. Um, they used French babies and English babies and had French adults and English adults. And so they made uh, these uh, adults offer toys to the babies. And uh, they verified that, uh, for instance, the French baby would play the most with the toy that was offered by a French person than with the toy that was offered to him by an English person and the other way around with the English baby. So the English baby would play more with the toy that was offered by an English person, an identical toy uh, to the French, uh, per, to the one that the French person offered. And this was sort of used to prove how we tend to create uh, these sort of stereotypes and also act a lot based on familiarity really early in infancy, meaning um, even uh, with the babies that we tend to assume that do not understand what we are saying or distinguish different languages, there is already a sort of mechanism in their brains that made them feel more acceptant of what's familiar to them in this sense in which came to language, to the sound of things. And I guess this was a very nice example, right? <laughs> yeah, that, that experiment is performed in very young uh, individuals, in babies, and it's also a form of identifying that in or and out of group dynamics. And it's surely very interesting. Um, there are other different experiments on the topic of biases and identification. Uh, and one of the most important ones, and it's also what this book heavily relies on, is the implicit association test, like you mentioned before. Mm -hmm. uh, this test was actually developed already in 1944 by Anthony Greenwald and it became very important uh, for social psychologists that were at the time just beginning to understand and to study hidden biases uh, mostly focusing on the study of racial biases in the US mm -hmm. and actually uh, yeah the, the study was very much performed uh, in studying racial biases in US as you said but it is highly versatile. I mean, it has been used also to investigate biases, not only in, on racial groups, but also on gender, sexuality, age, religion, as well as assess, assessing self-esteem, actually. And 
uh, Brune isn't it curious that we found ourselves reading this book during this summer of 2020, just when the Black Lives Matter uh, protests were at their climates across countries? Uh, definitely. I mean, the issue of uh, prejudice and biases within a racial framework in the U.S. and in the entire world, but Black Lives Matter started in the U.S., um, has always been a very preeminent field of study, but and it will continue to be until there is so more effective solutions in place. But uh, the, as we said, the test in itself is highly versatile, and I'm going to try to explain a little bit more what this test is. This is basically a computer-based test which measures the speed in which uh, the person that is doing the test associates a concept with an evaluation of that concept. For instance, if we are speaking of the racial implicit association test, it will be associating the word black or white with a word that is an evaluation. For instance, the word pleasant or unpleasant. Um, if we are expecting a bias that is in line with the American reality and the American prejudice towards the black community, it will be probable that the speed in association with the word black with pleasant would be slower than the association of the word black with unpleasant. But a very important thing is that having a bias doesn't mean that we have a preference. And even more important, doesn't mean that we act or that we are justified to act discriminately based on that biases. This is exactly. And uh, actually, I guess, I mean, this is a hard type of trust to, to describe like orally. I guess the best thing we can do is put the link mm -hmm. on the, um, the podcast description so that uh, the ones who listen and are curious to try the test, yeah, yeah. Um, can try to do it in their computers, exactly. And um, also another point is that, uh, as you said, this book is called The Hidden Biases of Good People. And uh, good people uh, refers to those who intend well and those who strive to align their behavior with their intentions, like as defined by the authors of the book. So the aim of it is to explain this science sufficiently well so that these good people, these well-intended persons can be better able to achieve that alignment of their thoughts and even unconscious uh, thoughts and behaviors and um, here's the catch uh, the book actually refers that most Americans 75% that have taken the test show strong implicit bias whereas that be in the area of race gender age or any category tested uh, beware that when we we say implicit biases, we are not saying prejudice. We are just saying the way that people group um, group one someone that they are uh, observing, for instance, on the street, and they immediately are capable of like grouping this person probably does this or his that in terms of sexuality, uh, age or race, whatever, you know. And um, I mean, we ourselves have put uh up to the this implicit association tests 
And uh, we realized, as the book had alerted us, that we had biases towards groups we are even part of. And um, this brings us back to the initial example. For instance, when I heard the word surgeon, did I quickly associate with a male person or female? A male one. Uh, but does that mean that I think less of myself career-wise because I am a woman? No, I guess. But what if I do unconsciously like think of myself less in certain situations and allow that to reflect in my actions, you see? So it often may run contrary to our conscious beliefs about who we are and what our true values are. Yeah, you just mentioned that and I was recalling an example that it's also in the book that um, you, you probably remember because I guess it's quite... Uh, interesting and it stuck in our mind there was this human resources director that it was a woman um, a career woman um, that was very professionally successful and also in her personal life too and she noticed that while she was looking at resumes for filling a position he favored the men that were applying for the position over the women uh, based on the ideas that uh, women will probably have to have a family in the future and will leave the company earlier or have a less performance. And these are all mm -hmm. preconceived notions that, are, that have um, no reason to be there and are very damaging for the progress of women in the career field and also in society in general and she mm -hmm. she uh didn't didn't think that those preconceived notions that she had were right they thought they were very wrong and they were also proven wrong by her own existence and her own experience as a career woman and as a professional but mm -hmm. those biases were lodged in her brain yeah and um, that's a very interesting example because as we were just referring, in this case, the woman had, uh, the woman you just referred, she had an implicit bias towards a negative one towards a group she's part of, that is woman. Mm -hmm. So besides the fact she's a working woman and a human resources agent, she tended to, um, to benefit men because uh, she, she had that bias so it can often even damage as we said before um, our image of ourselves when we have considerations that are sort of wrong or prejudicial to a group that we are even part of mm. and um, I guess we finally got to the good news actually when we refer this that is the book gives us a, a sort of strategy Mm -hmm. um, on how to try to control or to uh, to tame some of our unconscious bias into good things. And that's what they call outsmarting the machine. Do you like it? I, I, yeah. I love this term as well. <laughs> I, 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 do, I, do, I do really like it. Outsmarting the machine. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, basically outsmarting the machine the machine is to enable the human brain to outsmart the mind bugs that reside within it. So it's like uh, examples that they give on how to outsmart 
our machines <laughs> is to, uh, for instance, remember counterexamples from what our mind usually goes towards. So entangle our brain from the classic stereotypes that contribute to social segregation or may contribute without even us being aware of it. For instance, if I imagine the male pilots, I can acknowledge that and uh, ask myself, why not a female pilot? Or if I thought of a happy heterosexual couple, I can ask myself, why not homosexual? You know, like making those examples more vivid in uh, our memories so that we can overcome a certain biases and attitudes that we have uh, in society, even consciously or unconsciously, will reflect that and towards the best because we'll be more acceptant of differences that we encounter. Mm -hmm. So... The biases our brains have, they are stored on it because we simply encountered more of those examples, uh, of certain examples in our daily life. And uh, those are now recorded, even if not on our daily life. I mean, some stereotypes that we might have created and, and implicit biases might have occurred like on movies, mm. uh, songs, images that we see often, you know. But the argument of psychologists who investigate on implicit biases is that those stereotypes can be harmful in society when we create preconceptions about certain races, genders, religions, or other categories and create undesirable social segregation, sometimes even with us not realizing that. And that's one of the main issues. Yeah, and that strategy that we so like the the expression that they use to to refer to outsmarting the machine is exactly what we have to do because now that we realize that we have these mind books and biases we cannot simply expect them to disappear like that um mm -hmm. i think outsmarting the machine is as you said to make a conscious effort in building the most diverse catalog uh, that we can of examples that people that uh, actively go against the biases and the preconceived notions that we have. And the more diversity mm -hmm. that we are exposed to, the less strength the mind books have. Mm -hmm, exactly. And that's the first step, though, like to acknowledge it and change it, to smash the, the mind books, basically. And otherwise... Uh, I mean, we will just miss an opportunity to see the world in a completely different manner, um, in a more uh, integrating one. And also, we should like make ourselves available to achieve things that we would implicitly consider that are out of our range because we are a certain race, a certain gender, a certain religion or whatever preconceptions we might even have about ourselves. And um, we, we don't want to feel part of a stereotype that might like create barriers to where what we can achieve and what we where we want to go. 
Mm, exactly. We don't want to be uh, being biased towards ourselves, right? Exactly. Um, I guess this this is a very strong topic to begin with, especially because of the relevance that it has now. So I hope mm -hmm. our listeners enjoyed, even with the imperfect English and still <laughs> getting a hang of these things. But uh, I guess this is an exercise for us, not only to learn more about these topics but also to improve our communication and all that so thank you for joining in this episode and see you on the next one